son was born October 4th, and I think I got the layoff notice like November 2nd. Damn. Like a month later, four weeks later. I came out from the mole, dread headed though. Had big dreams, but my city was too small. Came through a lot, man. I done see a lot. Okay, man, look, though, listen, once again. This is the Dreadhead and Ted Podcast, and I am your host, Vance Hilaire. Now, this right here is episode 5. For this episode, we have a good friend of mine that goes by the name of Marcus Harward. And for this episode, Marcus will be covering how it is to really balance being an entrepreneur and also like having a family, being a family man. And I'm talking about, and what's great about this episode is that Marcus went through ups and downs, you know, losing his job, but, and he had a newborn on the way. So he had to find a way to actually get a new job, but still run his company. So Marcus, go ahead, man. Take the flow. Take the flow. Yeah, sure. So during the day, I work as a full stack developer for an international steel company called Gerdau. Uh, but on nights and weekends, my twin brother and I are building a multimedia search engine exclusively for indie games or independent video games. So, but overall, Marcus, are you still based in Atlanta? No, actually, I live in Florida now. Uh, you know, I moved down here about five years ago. Uh, I got, you know, a job offer from a, a tech company that was like in the digital restaurant space and uh, then they got acquired and I got laid off. And so now I work for Gerdau. So it all worked out. Ah, okay. But as far as like uh, birthplace go, you are, you were born in Atlanta. Yeah, yeah. DeKalb County, uh, Metro Atlanta, Southeast Atlanta. Okay. And now, and now over there though, so, you know, growing up as a kid, were you always, you know, techie or into tech or, or how did that experience uh, you know, came about to, to get you connected. Yeah, so, you know, my brother and I, uh, we got, and my sister, we got Super Mario Brothers 3 for Christmas when we were six, and she was five, and, and we've been playing video games ever since, and that really kind of inspired us to learn more about how the games are made, and, you know, so science fairs, and, you know, biology, and, and all the kind of science stuff, video games are the foundation. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And now, and now, but as far as actual the the tech itself, like, did you did you go to school for computer science or anything involved uh, technology? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I went to to Georgia Southern University. They're right outside Savannah. That's like Southeast Georgia. Uh, and my program was IT, and then Malcolm's program was computer science. Okay. And and as far as uh coding goes, did you guys know you uh, you were gonna become actual coders in the tech world, or did you have like another vision in mind to work either as a I don't know, like something else besides coding. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, Malcolm and I were building our own game after we, we you know, we under, we learned in school how to build apps. And then we learned, we realized that games are just apps. You know, the purpose is to entertain, just like Facebook, the purpose is to connect with the community. So we started building our own game. It was like a, a puzzle game and an RPG. And when we looked into the market space trying to figure out, you know, what was the size of our audience, we discovered that game discovery is broken. You know, indie developers make 70% of the games, but they only make 2% of the revenue. And actually, the, the average indie dev makes less than $500 per year. So we figured that we needed to solve that problem first before we could finish our game, which is how we got to making Project MQ. Mm, okay, now as far as the name go, Project MQ, like, I think it's a, it's a very cool name. How did you guys come up with that name? So it, it started out actually as a Meta Gamer, but then we got a, a cease and desist you know, from a lawyer in California. So we decided that we were going to change the name from Metagamer to Metacube, but we weren't sure yet if we were going to get another cease and desist, so we shortened Metacube to MQ and just called it Project MQ. (laughs) 
That's how you gotta do it, man. Hey, I like that. I respect that. Okay, but so now, as far as the the gaming goes, um, you know, with the idea itself, did you guys first, you know, build a community and start bringing, um, you know, users on board, or, or how exactly did you guys get that get the name across? Because not the name, but get the word across. Because one thing I, I learned from your Twitter account is that Project MQ Twitter is very very active, very popular. So. What were the techniques to really get the word out about Project MQ? Yeah, so what we did was, you know, we had to kind of take a look at the users we needed for our, our platform. And, and just like Airbnb and Uber, it's a double-sided marketplace. So you have, you know, content suppliers and, and you know, uh, supply and demand, consumers. So we basically decided we, we had to analyze the kind of needs for our users and build content around those needs. So for gamers, they want to find cool games so we would put content out that was about cool games and then for developers they really just want people to see their game so we also tried to build up an audience of people who played indie games you know both gamers and game developers and just kind of stated that model consistently doubled down on it and focused on it for three years and that's how we we are where we are now okay now now as far as actual um, company wise, did you guys have to raise any money to get to get started, or did you start without any money and then when stuff start, started picking up, then trying to raise funds? <laughs> so that, we might not have no time to talk about that. <laughs> but uh, the long story short is, as you know, it, it's tough raising money as a black entrepreneur, and I'm not making any excuses about it. But the numbers are what they are. Mm -hmm. You know, only venture capitalists only see one or only invest in one percent of the deals that they see. And of that 1%, only 1% goes to black-owned businesses. Mm -hmm. So we believe so much in this mission and this vision and this product that we invested money from the salaries at our day jobs to make this happen. You know, over $100,000 over the last five years. Um, you know, and, and shout out to the Neighborhood Star Fund for, for giving us a $5,000 investment from, you know, Lupe Fiasco's competition. But the, the biggest part of the money has been from us investing in our own company. Yeah, man, I, I could definitely relate to that, man. You know, just being black, you know what I'm saying? It's, 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 these folks ain't trying to, like, they feel like we're not smart enough to, to, to build the next building our company. So I, I can definitely understand. Um, so, but now as a founder, though, you know, having your own company and also working a day job, was it very difficult to kind of balance both? Before the job that you're working in now, um, what was the job you were doing before? So before I worked for a company called MenuPad, and they basically turned an iPad into a mobile point of sale. So what we did was we would digitize a, a paper copy restaurant menu. So when you go in to eat, you can order from the table and pay the table when you're done. And then overall, like, how did you get that job? Like, What was the main interview process? So I, I worked at a company before that at Georgia Southern called Morris Technology. And one of my coworkers... Uh, there, both of us got laid off from that job because we both graduated from school and we're still working there. They built their business model around just paying for student employees. Mm. And since we weren't students anymore, we both got laid off. Um, I started working at Georgia Southern in their IT team, but my coworker moved down to Florida. 
and was working for another company. And then he found out about the job and knew that I had some software development experience and asked me if I would move down to Florida to work for this new company. Uh, okay, now that makes sense. And for the previous company you worked for, I know you were telling me earlier, you know, how, how it was, I think, acquired, right? Uh, right. And then after they got acquired, you know, I guess every, all the team members was um, released? Yeah, so we had about 16 people total at the company. Um, and then back in October, the guy who owns the company sold it to a company in Miami called Pay My Tab. Uh, but they already have an IT team, and they build their own software, payment software. So, you know, I can understand it because it was kind of a redundant, you know, workforce. So they basically laid off 80% of the company or 90% of the company. They kept four people, and and the other 12 people got laid off. Damn, man. Like, so, so, okay, so now when you got laid off, right, knowing that you have your own company that you have to find, uh, you also have kids at home. Uh, so were you panicking or were you stressing out? Like, like kind of put us like in your mind frame at that time now when, when you got laid off. Man, as soon as I found out, like everybody else wasn't getting laid off, was just kind of chopping it up, just kind of, you know, shooting the, the breeze. I know you're going to put it on radio, so I'm not going to cuss, but you know. No, I know listen, I do, your, do your thing. If you want to cuss, if, like, be yourself, man. This is, you know, all for you. I had mouth to be, so I had shit to get done. So as soon as I found out, I immediately started reaching out to recruiters, every place I could send my resume. Like, I worked for looking for a job like it was my job. 40 hours a week, they let us know two weeks in advance we were going to get laid off. Every day for the next two weeks, I was sending out my resume, calling up recruiters, and trying to go interview for a new job. Oh, man. And then overall, how long did it take you to find uh, that new job? You know, I'm blessed. It took me two and a half weeks. Uh, you know, and, and that was the longest two and a half weeks that I, I you know, ever could have been because it was right there at Thanksgiving, right before Christmas. But uh, I'm lucky that I, I have some great contacts and recruiters here in the tech community. And, you know, I've been kind of volunteering my time. So I, I had a good network to help me land well. And now, now for this new job now, what is it that you're doing and what's the company? So, again, they're Gerdau. They're based in Brazil. Uh, they make steel. They're a 117-year-old company. But what they want to do is make sure that they're going to be around for the next 117 years. So you remember how, like, Netflix put Blockbuster out of business and, like, Amazon put Sears out of business. Mm-hmm. They wanted to disrupt themselves before another company from the outside did that to them. Uh, so we're working on, like, next-gen projects, VR and blockchain and machine learning, kind of trying to take the business, the, the traditional steel business, to the next generation. That made perfect sense. And to, to like, quickly, you know, uh, briefly touch on the whole being laid off and trying to look for a new job thing before we move on. Um, all, at that time, I think at that time you you had a, a newborn, right? Or was it, like, how many months later was that? Like, overall, do you think, like, that played a, a very important role to, like I say, put in 40 hours trying to find a job? Because, cause as we know, trying to look for a job is, is very difficult, bro. Like, that's, that's like, draining and time-consuming. So, do you think that that kind of, like, you know, uh, added to your motivation? Or was it just you trying to, you know, fund your company? Or was it just both overall and everything included? It, it definitely lit a fire under me, you know. And, and like I said, I didn't have time to waste. You know, we were already, we were bootstrapping Project MQ, so that had money that had to go into it to cover some of those bills. But at the same time, I'm looking, you know, I, didn't, I don't have any savings. You know, I'm being real because I put all my free money and time into growing my company. 
You know, I had a, a, a deadline. I had 30 days to start a new job. And I, like I said, as soon as I found out, like the next 10 minutes, people talking, I'm looking up new jobs. Man, I respect that, man. Before we end this uh, job hunting thing, like, what are some, I guess, you know, advice for the folks out there that's either listening and, you know, trying to find and look for a job? I would say reach out to recruiters because recruiters' jobs are to, to help people get placed. That's how they get paid, right? When you get paid, they get paid. So it, it's kind of like a one-stop shop. If you find a, especially, you know, you want to try to find a good recruiting company. Some of them are just out there trying to, you know, up jobs with, without really trying to look out for your best interests. But if you find a good company, you're, they will help you find a place to work. That's, that's my biggest piece of advice for somebody looking for a job. Find a reputable recruiting company and they will help you find a job. Yeah, nah, that made perfect sense. Now, as far as Project MQ goes, um, wh- what is the next step for Project MQ for 2019? So we recently pivoted. You know, Before, we were kind of focused on just kind of the multimedia search engine. But what we realized kind of late last year, a couple things. One was that the scope of what we were trying to build was too big. And two, investors don't understand A, indie games, B, blockchain, or, or C, search engine. So having a multimedia search engine for indie games with a blockchain play was too complicated. So what we've done is pivoted to like esports, in-person live events, and focused on building content. Okay, now that makes sense. Now, let's say if there's a gamer out there listening right now, uh, how can that gamer get involved in Project MQ? Like, how do they sign up? So, on our site, uh, you can go to www.projectmq.com. Uh, we do have a waiting list, but actually, and this is kind of breaking news for you, we had this conversation this morning. We're going to disable the wait list and just open up the site. Nobody even knows about that. And so, now i got to make sure I, I share that with our, our patrons because... We're supposed to have, you know, breaking news for them first because, you know, they're supporting us financially. Uh, but since I know you, we go a long ways back. And I'll yeah. let you know that first before everybody else does. Uh, that's what's up, man. I appreciate that, man. But is there a very specific, I'm guessing, a strategy behind it? Or did you feel like, oh, just make it easier for folks to join the, the platform? Yeah, so the first thing we wanted to do was kind of uh, protect the, the quality of the community. We didn't necessarily want to have, you know, 100 million people right from the get-go. Because we wanted to make sure we had a high-quality community. And the other thing was, you know, Facebook and Dropbox launched as invite-only when they first started. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to kind of use that strategy. And most importantly, because we're bootstrapping this, we don't have, like, a, a huge budget to cover server costs. Mm-hmm. So we couldn't afford for thousands of people to be on the site racking up a, a server bill when we can't afford to pay the bill month for month. Damn, no, that is true, man. That is, that is true. So, okay, you being in tech overall with all these like ups and downs with having a company but still working a day job. So, um, do you think it was still worth it to, to get into tech as a career? Or if you had the chance to, would you switch your career if you had to start all over again? I, I would stay in tech. I, I think there's a lot of opportunity in tech. If you're willing to put in the time to learn, there's always something new to do. You know, blockchain is getting popular now, but technically blockchain is 10 years old. Mm. So, you know, 10 years ago it didn't exist, and now a lot of great opportunities are happening there. I've seen online, here, even here in Tampa, I saw a job posting there paying $150 an hour for a blockchain developer. Now, I didn't get that job, but whoever did, man, yeah. you know, <laughs> more power tool. <laughs> hey, uh, nice pocket money, man. Nice bank right now, you know what I'm saying? Exactly. Tech is definitely a place to really uh, 
look at as a career. So for those that are either uh, that's not in tech right now and also feel like they're not, you know, super smart, um, super techy, like, do you have any advice for them on how to actually get into tech? trying to make it easier for people to understand technology because at the end of the day like you know technology is not going away mm-hmm. and you hear all the time on the news people talking about automation and robots taking away jobs but there are companies that are helping so i think google now has a, a website you can go to i can't think of the name off the top of my head uh, and I, if i do i'll send it to you later but they have like a basic fundamental technology course where you can be eligible for a job with them, well, they're paying $45,000, $50,000 salary for the training they're offering you for free. Really? So, so in other words, like, when they hire you, they'll train you to be qualified in a way to start the job? Right. They want to give you free training to qualify you for jobs that they're hiring right now at $45,000, $50,000 a year. And that's a great place to start. Oh hell yeah! With Google, no, nah, listen, man. Like, where, where you, will you find that link? Please send that to me. I mean, shit, I might even apply for it. <laughs> yeah, I think it was like it's either Google or Publix. You know, I hear it on the radio every once in a while. They're like, yeah, well, because they they use the same tool for their internal training. They just made it available for free. Mm. And when you do the free training and you go take the certification test. Right there, you're eligible for those jobs, those entry-level IT jobs. Now, aside from that, Marcus, man, you know, so far, I think everything sounds good. So, uh, before I let you go, man, like, what is the overall vision for Marcus, right, on a personal level, and also the overall vision for Project MQ, let's say, five or ten years from now? You know, now that I have a family, I'm much more focused on them. They're my own startup. So I just want to make sure that I'm present for my family. And and that's a challenge, not because, you know, for a lack of effort. I love my family. It's just what I'm trying to do is kind of get away from my history of investing all my free time into Project MQ. So what that is is like a personal journey for me to say, you know, Project MQ needs some boundaries. So that I can make sure that I'm focused on my family. Oh, man. So, okay, to piggyback on that family part, like, how is it trying to start a company, right, or starting a company and also having a family and having kids? Like, I don't have no kids yet, so can you kind of give me an idea of, like, the obstacles or challenges that you go through trying to, you know, have a company but yet still have family balance? It's all about time, man. I think it was a little bit easier, you know, when I just had my daughter, but now that I have, you know, two kids, I have a toddler and an infant, it's really about, you know, I have to make that extra sacrifice personally where I gotta wake up at five o'clock in the morning so that I can put in an hour and a half in before my daughter wakes up and then I need to feed her and change her diaper. And then I have to be at work at nine and an hour and drive to work, so I gotta leave by eight. Then when I get home, you know, feed my daughter, you know, spend some time with my son and my wife and then get my kids to bed, spend some more time with my wife and then I try to get another hour in before I go to bed. So I'm, I'm probably getting maybe two hours a day time into Project M2 outside of everything else. And that's just what it is. I had to accept that the boundary I need to put around my business so I can make sure I have time for my family first and foremost and my job second because they pay the bills. Man, man, that sounds like that sounds very intense. So overall, now for those that do have kids and listening that want to start a company, would you say it's worth it? Would you say... You know, it's not saying that it's impossible, but would you say it's it's worth it? Like, if you had to decide to just, you know, in the beginning, you know, just job and family only and not being an entrepreneur, would you would you take that, you know, same route or would you decide something else? I think I would 
you know, I'd be open to the challenge. You just have to be realistic about what that means for you and for your family. Now, ultimately, I'm building this so that I can leave something for my kids. I want them to have this as something they can own. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we have a lot of legacy businesses in our community. Mm-hmm. And I would like that for my family, not just for my immediate family, but, you know, the black community. I, I want this to be for everyone to own. That's what's but up, man. You know, I, I, again, there's only so many hours in the day, and, and, and I got bills to pay, and I got mouths to so I gotta go to work. Man, that makes sense, man. That makes sense. So Marcus, man, you know, like can you can you let uh, the folks know, you know, um how can they reach you? Where can they reach you? They wanna either support or help out or ask you any, you know, questions or uh, advice. Catch up with me on LinkedIn, you know, Marcus Blockchain Howard. Uh, that's great branding for me. It makes it easy for people to find me. Nobody else is doing that there. Um, you know, I am spending less time on Twitter, but I'm also on Twitter at there are two of me. Um, and on Facebook. You can shoot me an email, Marcus at projectm2.com. And actually, the new thing we launched, uh, you know, on our birthday four weeks ago was our Patreon campaign. So that's where we're putting more focus in 2019. You know, people who want to back us for just $2 a month, less than a cup of coffee at Starbucks, we're sharing this conversation we're having here. We're doing that kind of raw, real-life journey, you know, on Patreon. We're, we're sharing the successes. We're, we're sharing the challenges. Everything is there. Man, I love it. I love it. So, Marcus, man, you know, before you go, can you leave the listeners with just some word of advice? Or overall, you know, from all this, what do you want folks listening to kind of get from all from this from this wonderful talk, man? Startups are great, but nothing is more important than family. You got to remember the why you're doing what you're doing. So make sure you keep your priorities in order. And, and again, if anybody has any questions and need advice, I'm an open book. You know, whatever free time I have and it's limited, you know, I'll do whatever I can to help people kind of navigate this path themselves. I came out from the mall, dread headed though. Had big dreams, but my city was too small. Came through a lot, man. I don't see a lot. One year, 20 jobs, so I hate nothing. Just no bulletproof